Dr. Jane. Hi, Anna. You and I covered a lot on our last conversation about grief and loss, and we felt very strongly that there was a lot more that we needed to discuss on this very important subject. So I thought we could continue this conversation, starting with why we avoid the emotions of loss and grief. I think that's, I think it's a good idea to delve into this, Anna, because some of this is not, not really obvious. So there are um, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual uh, components to the pain that we experience in a grief process. And very often they're overwhelming. And when we talk about denial, because people will say, oh, he or she, you know, they're in denial. We need to understand that denial is not conscious lying. It's an unconscious defense mechanism that the psyche provides to protect us when something is overwhelming. And so very often it's the denial that allows us to kind of disengage because it doesn't feel safe, much less, you know, safe enough to express. Yeah. Dr. Jane, I think self-reflection would be difficult at this time. You would be asking yourself, you know, what kind of life am I creating? You know, how am I responsible? All kinds of good and bad thoughts would be going through your mind. I, you know, I think you're right, Anna. You know, that it's that, that whole capacity for insight means that I have to be open to what is happening to me in the moment. And with a grief reaction, with fear reaction, we become closed off to that. So I'm not able to access that part of myself. And we also have social constructs, our conditioning, that really um, tell us that we need to be a certain way in order to, to be okay. Things like, you know, I shouldn't feel vulnerable. Mm. Um, a real man or a real woman shouldn't appear weak or others should never see me as appearing weak. Um, I should get over this. I should be able to handle this better. These are the should, should, shoulds, the ironclad rules that kind of govern us. And when we step out of those rules, we very, very often feel guilt or shame. So what are some of the most common relievers that people do to get some distance from this pain? Well, what I want to say, first of all, these are short-term relievers, pain relievers, but, um, you know, as I say, they're, they're short-term, they're temporary. They don't work for the long haul, you know, and, and one is, you know, I'm going to check out. I just kind of leave myself. I disengage. Sometimes this is the unconscious denial mechanism, and sometimes it's just like, never mind, okay? It can be either or. We also love to escape through our devices, whether that be TV, computer, gaming, social media. Um, those are all some favorites. We can also escape through consumption, consuming food, consuming alcohol, consuming drugs. Um, those are always at hand, okay? Then there's also anger, anger, and anger gets to be a way that I don't have to feel the pain. If I can feel anger, I'm going to feel more, um, I actually feel stronger. It's kind of a way to kind of puff one up. I've often said, you know, give me about two ounces of self-righteous indignation and, you know, I'm, I'm on it. I'm feeling, I'm feeling tough and strong. So anger is one. There's also blame shifting. It's really not what's going on with me or it's not the emotions or the, the grief that I'm dealing with. It's something else that I can kind of shift my focus on and blame something else for 
why I feel distraught or why I feel on edge. Yeah. I see a lot of people, including myself, isolating or pulling back, you know, withdrawing from our normal social connections and, and we are, when we are grieving. I, I've done this many times. Mm -hmm. You know, and sometimes that's absolutely necessary for me to move into feeling what I'm really feeling. But for many, it's, it's a way of disengaging totally. Because by looking at you, by being with you, I'm reminded of what is missing. I'm reminded of what I can't have. So isolation and social withdrawal can be very much a part of how we try to avoid the grief. Also, I, I, I want to say, you know, under, I should have mentioned it under consumptions, retail therapy is also another way that we can disengage from the pain that I'm in. You know, give me a little something to buy or something to even to look at, you know, like thumbing through the, the catalogs. Um, busyness. Busyness can be a wonderful way to, you know, escape. Um, I remember, you know, going through my own grief process after my husband died. I purged the house. And it was really part of that and, and was very conscious of it at the time that there was something about being able to release that, that pent-up energy. But this is also can lead to workaholism, just being totally focused on the work environment and producing and being productive, but never really checking into what's going on on the inside. Yeah. And this is a wonderful way to kind of disengage, dissociate. Um, you know, sometimes it's very conscious Sometimes it is not conscious at all when we unplug or detach or disengage. Yeah. Well, Dr. Jane, what keeps us from moving through grief? Well, as I mentioned before, and it's worth repeating, our culture prevents us from moving through grief. You know, the socialization, the messiness of life that I want to avoid, thinking that I can't handle it or it's too much or it shouldn't be this, this intense. Uh, that kind of conditioning, conditioning can be very disrupted in just allowing myself the grief process. Mm -hmm. that, that need to be strong is also a cultural piece. That the, the cultural piece of don't fall apart. Or yeah. sometimes it's about feeling very responsible for what I have to do, whether that be other family members. And so I feel like I can't fall apart. Or very often after the loss of a loved one, there is all kinds of cleanup that has to be done financially or and and so it's about I have to get this done so that that busyness really is about um, keeping me and being responsible for it keeping me away from doing the grief work that I need to do yeah well you know I've heard people say I understand how you feel all things must come to an end she had a good life you know he's in a better place also you know be grateful for what you have Stay busy, like if busier, you, you know, you won't have, won't have time to grieve, you know, it's just, yeah. there's so many different things that people say. How does this affect the person's, the person that's hearing these things? Well, it feeds into the conditioning, feeds into the conditioning and the, and the socialization. So it's about, you shouldn't be this uncomfortable. You shouldn't have to feel as uncomfortable as you feel. It shouldn't be as painful. If you do these things, you won't have to feel that. Um, but it also, the message is, let's not make anyone else uncomfortable. Let's not burden them. I mean, mm -hmm. life goes on, uh, so get over it already. So it's about, it's about moving away from the pain or it's about replacing the loss. I remember just recently heard about a, a, a family. They lost their, their dog, had to euthanize their dog. 
and the kids were all upset with it and immediately was, you know, well, we're going to get a new puppy. We're going to get a new puppy, you know, and it's, uh, it's one of those pieces that we don't want anybody to feel the pain rather than this is a normal piece. Mm-hmm. Let's wrap our arms around it, you know, and let's salvage the memories. And yes. Yeah. 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 That's so sad. Dr. Jane, I know that there are many faces of grief. Can you, can we go through a, a few of those? Yes. Yes, the traditional one is heartbreak. This comes from actually from the Victorian era. And there was lots written about, you know, the, the grief and the sorrow of heartbreak. You know, the loss of someone is breaking one's, breaking one's heart. And very often there is a sensation of a broken heart. There is a, like a pain constriction in the chest, which very ha- often happens with sadness or anxiety or worry. And it feels like there is something broken. Um, but often it hides, you know, often the, the face of grief kind of hide behind physical or mental or emotional kinds of, of symptoms. And sometimes we don't see it specifically as, as grief. Yeah. Well, how about when we're feeling vulnerable, which is very common? Well, vulnerability is something that, that people fear as well. I mean, and that's also part of the, the social conditioning. Because vulnerability, you know, really pulls up that, that sense of fear around our um, lack of capacity or a perceived weakness. So very often that's something that we move away from. And clearly to allow myself to feel the pain that I'm feeling really puts me right in the middle of my own vulnerability. And what we don't understand is how embracing our vulnerability and allowing ourselves to move through it or it to move through us, feelings of vulnerability, really strengthen us and mature us, help us develop into our best and higher selves. But grief is painful to the core. And so the usual painkillers, as we mentioned, don't work. Mm -hmm. And so very often there there are triggers that increase reactivity and we tend to be more emotional, sometimes not knowing where all that is coming from, or sometimes we're triggered into complete silence. Or we can be triggered into anger and agitation. You know, anger very often kind of protects us, yeah. protects us from guilt, remorse. Um, there's also the guilt piece can be a face of grief that did I do enough? You know, was there something that I might have done to prevent this? It's, it's all very, very interesting and all very, very subjective as to what's going to come up for the individual as they're going through their own process. Yes, I've heard some people say that sometimes grief just disappears. What happens? Well, sometimes grief goes underground. I mean, sometimes it's about, it's, it's just too messy and, and, and it feels uh, too weak. And so it kind of uh, moves into, you know, unconsciousness. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean it goes away. So from the unconscious level, it can be triggering mood swings. It can be triggering anger, um, which usually is a vital sign that says something's terribly wrong. But very often we can't figure out what's wrong because it's being triggered by the unconscious. And so we'll create something in our environment to be angry about. Yeah. You know, there's also the conflict of, you know, the internal and external what's going on. And again, with the unconscious, we're never really clear about that. That's the unknown but it's affecting us. It's affecting the programming of every day. Mm-hmm. So very often there's kind of a whirling confusion. 
you know, problems concentrating, you know, is another big one. Nothing seems right, you know, no matter what I try to do, I can't quite get there or I can't quite do it the way I thought I, I needed to do it. Um, and often feelings of confinement and constriction. I mean, life narrows as we go into this and, and try to avoid it. So um, unresolved issues very often come up. Unresolved family issues very often surface. Old grievances, they can either be um, you know, worked through or in many cases justified and fueled. So those grievances become even stronger, kind of take on a life of their own. Yes, I've seen some of these actually play out. It's really amazing. Uh, Dr. Jane, is there any kind of gift in this painful, messy process? Ah, the gifts. The gifts. Well, first of all, it's human to grieve. It's human to go through the loss. Um, it is part of the life cycle. Um, it is very often an end to chapters and eras of our lives. Um, and it's about being open. You know, learning how to be open. Being open can be a gift. Being open to what's really happening, a direct experience. You know, it's, it's about, it, it becomes an authentic practice in life, kind of living life on life's terms, allowing ourselves to turn toward the impermanence, turn toward our own mortality, uh, the, how life is, is fragile, you know, and acknowledging that in the moment. It doesn't mean that we need to dwell on this or, mm -hmm. or you know, um, keep it churning within us, but allow us, allow ourselves in the moment to really kind of capture that, that personal experience, even when we want to run from it. Um, because the gift unfolds when we don't run. The gift unfolds when I allow myself to be in the awareness of the moment to whatever is arising and to let it unfold. Yeah, I know we talked in the first video that in our culture, we're not taught to, to grieve. We're not taught to hold and support someone who is grief stricken because it could hit close to home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and grief very often blows us wide open, you know, blows our hearts open. And this can be frightening, it can be very frightening. And yet again, it's about being with what is arising and, and in that moment, we very often come to terms with what really is important, what is really significant in my life. Um, so the grief experience can start with something very, very personal. Mm -hmm. And yet by allowing ourselves to express it, we begin to resonate with all grief, with all human suffering. Mm -hmm. So this is a heightened time of our human connection. We really become part of the human collective because we touch into the sorrow and the suffering of all humanity, which is part of why it feels so very intense. But it deepens our sense of empathy. It deepens our sense of compassion for all who grieve and for all who suffer. But what's interesting, Anna, is we cannot come to this as a strategy. It can't be the goal. It's like, okay, so I'm going to grieve for about 15 minutes and I'm going to be able to tap into all humanity. It's not like that. Right. It's about by being with whatever is arising, by being with my own grief and allowing it to unfold, that I deepen into what it is to be fully human. And I become open to the pain of, of humanity, the pain of, of the world, which is also accompanied, this pain is accompanied and actually held by love and compassion. So this deepens that sense of humanity and deepens the sense of the human connection. 
Yeah. Well, now that I've heard you describe the, the grief experience, I know I have had moments with intense emotions of feeling my own grief while mm -hmm. experiencing others, others' griefs. Mm -hmm. Yes, and there's, there's a path to healing. Um, what's interesting, though, is people very often talk about healing grief. And I want just to say that grief is the process. It's not a state. Um, and we really don't heal grief. What happens is if we're open to the grief process, it will show us what needs to be healed, okay? And what needs to be healed might be reframing a past grievance, um, ours or another's. It may be making an amends or a gesture of forgiveness. These would be the things that would be the healing pieces. Or, or maybe we need to, to move toward acceptance and let go of an old story. That, that adds to our, our um, uh, negative emotions or, or grievances. Um, but allowing the grief to move through us, allowing ourselves to feel it, really directs us to whatever the unfinished business is so that we can really hallmark that as this is what needs to be cleared away so that I can step forward in a loving farewell, a loving farewell heartfelt farewell. So this moves us between the grief, but also then moves us into a restoration of life, you know, because there is loss, but there is also new life. And it all starts with allowing ourselves the awareness of what we're feeling, mm. what we're feeling, and allowing ourselves to have the expression of that, kind of facing into our reactions as we move toward the adjustments that we are we have to make after a loss to our roles and sometimes our status, even our identity. Yeah. So I take it it's not necessary to stay focused on our grief all the time in order to heal, correct? That there, is, that there is life to live and it's okay yes. to let ourselves feel the grief. Yes. And, and I also, I want to say that as we're feeling the grief, it's not about okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take eight hours. And I'm just going to feel, feel into this. It really is about an ebb and a flow, letting myself feel the grief, but also titrating that, turning toward it, but also getting some other things done in my life and then going back to it. And it's why we need to have uh, time that we really um, uh, carve out for quiet time, for contemplative time, because it starts with exploring our emotions and our behaviors that cover up the grief. It's like, what's, what's behind the anger? What's behind this angst? What's behind the busyness? You know, it's about, you know, kind of, it's like, okay, I'm on to you, Jane. I, I see what your busyness is about. And okay, be busy for a while, but we're also going to carve out something else because a lot of times, you know, we get so wrapped up in the painkillers that we're not really looking at, and how is this serving me? Or how is it interfering? with what I need to do in the long run. So acknowledging also kind of the primary and secondary loss in grief, because initially it's the, the loss, you know, um, of the individual or the situation or the um, um, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. It's that initial loss could be the deceased, but then it moves into what happens given the loss of that. What's going on? Um, what's happening in my life that results from that? What are the changes that I have to face into 
and that I have to adjust to, given that that particular piece is no longer in my life. And it's also, you know, in doing this, it, it can be really important to share with trusted others who will support a truthful expression of our loss. So someone that we can go to in our confusion and say, I don't know what's going on. And they won't try to dictate. They won't try to, to tell us what's going on. They really allow us to kind of figure it out as they hold us in their, their love and compassion. And this is why it's, it's important, even as you seek out spiritual guidance, that, that it be with people who will allow you to have the expression. Because mm -hmm. when people start to dictate how we do our grief, it really adds to that socialization, that conditioning. It can really be kind of a, you know, we build up kind of an armor. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so we can't feel it because we're told that's not right or that's not God's will to, for you to feel that. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Chang, do you recommend grief groups? I very often recommend grief groups. Um, they can be enormously helpful. Support groups can be helpful. Groups facilitated by professionals can be helpful. Reading self-help books can be enormously helpful, like Grief Recovery by John James and Russell Hudson. Uh, journaling can be helpful. Writing letters, you know, to the, the uh, person who um, you're grieving or the situation that you're grieving. Mm -hmm you know, writing the story, writing, you know, what you loved about it and what you hated about it and what you're going to do next, you know, really kind of getting the expression out in whatever way is going to allow you to move through the process. Um, it's also about integrating the memory of the loss into current life. Um, maybe it could benefit others or, or be for some uh, greater good. Yeah, I've, I've had a personal experience with this and know how a tragedy can turn into an extraordinary benefit to the world. Mm -hmm. Yes, it really can move us into um, a service, a service that somehow really, really is about the best and greater good. Mm -hmm. And mastering that, you know, um, mastering what we've passively suffered in our, in our lives always tends to come back to us, you know, a hundredfold. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to say that sometimes it's important to seek professional help, um, whether that be through a mental health professional, a grief counselor, um, spiritual support that, that doesn't negate our feelings or, mm -hmm. or use cliches. Um, also operating out of as best we can eventually gratitude for what I had, for who this was or what this was in my life, how it contributed and influenced my life, and how I am different because of it is also a personal piece that we can do. Absolutely. I know <clears throat> gratitude is the foundation of turning so many things around in our life. This has been an amazing conversation with so much powerful information about loss and grief. Dr. Jane, thank you for taking us through this painful process with such grace as you always do. Thank you, Anna. It was good to be with you. Yeah. I know uh, you and I have spoken about our next conversation being about checking out our backstory. <laughs> I love how you describe this being an inside job to recognize and be aware of conditioning and triggers. Yes. You know, Anna, one of the things <laughs> that, that, has occurred to me over the years that I found enormously helpful is 
to really provide some information uh, that explains how it is that we interpret life the way we interpret it. Mm -hmm. So it's really about looking at how we think. I call it the ABCs of thinking. But also to not just stop there, because it's not always about cognitive conceptual um, as we know it in our everyday thinking. It really is to know what are the influences? What's behind the scenes? What is it about our socialization? What is it about our belief systems you know, that contribute to this? And how does that play out? And how we're in agreement to it? Oh, I can't wait. Thank you so much, Dr. Jane. Thank you, Anna. Looking forward to our next conversation for the good. As always, Anna. Thank you. See you next time. Bye. Bye.